when we think about worship, relational proximity is necessary. That word proximity, when you look at the definition of proximity, here's what it says. It is nearness in space, time, or relationship. So when we talk about worshiping God, it requires us to then now desire and or establish a relationship with him in order for us to relate to who he is because worship speaks of who God is. And we were created to worship and for worship. Pastor Martin is inside of his sermon series in Psalms 95 verses 1 through 7 as he discusses how we were designed for worship. As we consider worship and what it means, it's going to be important for us to then understand how it relates to us as human beings and specifically and particularly to those of us who know God because we're going to study and look at how worship is of a relational nature, different from praise. But we're also going to take a look at praise and help us to see the difference and understand how you can worship God and also praise him, but praise doesn't also mean that worship is present. Worship is as old as humanity. It seems that uh, it is as natural to worship as it is to live. When we think about this, the feeling of or expression of high adoration or reverence or trust or love or loyalty or even a dependence on a higher power whether that it is human or it's whether it's something that we trust in like governments or uh, government systems or systems that we believe in or ideology or even persons that we have confidence in, it seems there's a part of us that always look as though it's a necessity for us to raise something up and to give it high honor. These sentiments towards something or somebody, whether real or imaginary, appeal to a greater or lesser degree to every human being, that every person to some degree has an affinity for worshiping something. Now, the origin of this sense of worship reaches all the way back to mankind's first family. When we look back and we see in the Genesis record, we see Adam and Eve. Now, we, the, the scriptures did not give us context for how Adam and Eve worship, but we do see that we find in chapter four, there's a record of their first two sons worshiping God. As a matter of fact, we understand that it was over that worshiping of God that Cain got angry with Abel because the word says that God honored what Abel gave and not Cain. So we see that, that there's uh, this, this part of us going all the way back to our origins of this need or sense of worship. So through this sermon series, we're going to explore the significance of this need for us to recognize where worship should be and how we should position it in our lives. Now, here's a reality that we must face today. That in all of creation, when you think about all that God created, man is the only member of creation that has the capacity 
to knowingly and willingly worship. Now, we all, those of us that have pets, you have a dog that runs and he, he adores you. He's so, so excited when he comes, but he's doing it instinctively because it's instinctive for dogs to, to seek out attention or to offer companionship. But in all of creation, man is the only part of creation that can knowingly and intentionally understand what it means to worship. We understand from scripture that everything that has breath is compelled in Psalm 150. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. But worship, however, is more of a relational nature as it speaks of foreknowledge. And here it is. And of an aptitude to relate to that which is worshiped. So the inherent characteristic of humanity of mankind is that we have this propensity to hold something or someone in high esteem or to ascribe adoration to something or someone. It is a result of mankind, his or hers capacity to worship because we have within us the ability to knowingly and intentionally raise something up above, some, above other things, then we have the capacity to worship. Now here's the key, when we, work, when we recognize that this personable God that we're talking about, the God who wants to be in relationship, the God who calls us sons and daughters when we come into relationship with him, the God who, when we see him walking in, in the garden with Adam and Eve, we see him calling them by name. This, this personal God who is creator of all things has desired by his specific design to be in relationship with mankind and to be in relationship with that part or that element of his creation that he gave, gave the distinction of being made in his likeness and in his image. So when we think about worship, we understand that God by design making man and woman in his likeness and according to his image, he then designed that we should worship. And by that design, he compels us that we should, because we're the only member of creation that has the capacity to worship, we should live a life in worshiping our creator. Now, God is a master designer. He's this master designer. And so in the inhabitants of earth are divided into five main groups. The five main groups are mammals, birds, reptiles, amphibian, amphibians, and fish. Now, this master designer has designed all of these groups. And let me give you some statistics. There are 32,000 species of fish. There are 11,000 known 
species of bird that have been actually described and named. There are 10,000 species of reptiles. There are 8,000 species of amphibians. And then there are 5,400 different species of mammals, which is where we fall. Now think about this. this, this master designer created all of these different species. And out of all of these species, there's just one that has the capacity and the ability to relate to him in such a way that it can actually worship him. So here's something to note. I've stated this or referred to this earlier, but I want to just state it outright. Mankind is the only member of the inhabitants of earth that has the capacity to know God and to recognize him as creator. The animals, the other members of the inhabitants of the earth, they were created by God, but they don't know that he created them. But mankind has the capacity to do that. Now, as a part of this, there's, there's two primary means by which Scripture helps us to understand that we are able to acknowledge God or to, to, to reverence him and give him the honor due to him. And those two means are praise and worship. Praise and worship. So we're going to start out by describing what the both are and then we're going to move into defining them using, I'm going to, there's a couple resources I'm going to draw in that gives definitions that I think will help us to best understand the distinction between the two in order for us to understand why they're significant or important. So let's just start with praise. Praise, praise of God is due to what he has done. Now you can turn your attention to your page. That's on your page that you have. That praise of God is due to what he's done. And here's the key. Only intellectual capacity is necessary to praise. See, when, when, when the psalmist says in Psalm 150, verse 7, verse 6 rather, let everything that has breath, because any person sitting here, because there's breath in your body, you can praise God. You can praise God. And Jesus expanded that because I noticed I said intellectual capacity is necessary. And if that capacity is given, then anything that has breath can praise him. Well, Jesus expanded that because as he was going into Jerusalem, his triumphant entry, the Pharisees and scribes were angry at him for allowing the people to shout Hosanna. They said, tell, your, tell them to stop doing what they're doing. And Jesus says this. He said, listen, if they stop, these very stones will rise up and begin to praise me. So God says, whatever I give breath to or give capacity to, it can praise me. Even an inanimate object like a stone has the capacity Praise him. And if you reach back and you look over in the Old Testament, you find that even a donkey, he gave the capacity because he 
has breath in his body, he gives him the capacity to speak on his behalf. When Balaam is going in and he's, he's outside of God's will and he's riding on the donkey and the donkey won't take him, he starts beating him. The donkey says, wait a minute. Why are you whipping me? Haven't I taken you everywhere that you've asked me to take you? With me not taking you today should tell you something's up. So we see that everything that has breath can praise him. However, as we move to worship, worship is worship of God is due to who he is. It requires knowledge of him. So I've told this story before, but my cousin, my cousin, he got excited. He was he was traveling and he he saw this large uh, uh, stature of, of a man walking and he recognized it was Shaquille O'Neal. Being a big fan of him, he ran up, said, what's up, Shaq? And he put his hand out. And Shaq said, I don't know you. So why are you acting like we know each other? Because when we think about worship, relational proximity is necessary. That word proximity, when you look at the definition of proximity, here's what it says. It is nearness in space, time, or relationship. So when we talk about worshiping God, it requires us to then now desire and or establish a relationship with him in order for us to relate to who he is because worship speaks of who God is. Now, here's the thing. Everything that has breath can praise God because the scripture said, let everything has breath, praise God. However, Jesus makes a distinction between praise and worship in John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, because Jesus says that God is actually looking for a group that he calls true worshipers. John 4, 23 and 24, he says, but the hour is come and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, because oftentimes, because we have jubilation and excitement, it can be perceived as worship. But he says worship requires certainly this sense of a spirited response, but it also requires truth. To know who he is, he's not just one of the boys, he is the man. He's just not on the list, he is it. Because Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He said, I'm not one of those ways to God. I am the only way. So when we understand who God is, now we understand what it means to worship him. Because he goes on to say, for the father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. And those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So now let's go to defining worship and praise or praise and worship. So there's, there's a couple definition sources that, we, that I, I, I've used here that I think will help us to get our best understanding. First is Nelson's three in one 
Bible companion, it says this. It says, praise is an ascription of honor and glory to God. So naturally, it is, this is a, uh, a biblical reference, so it's going to speak, speak specifically of God. But then consulting Webster's 21st century dictionary, the second edition, it says, praise is a reason or a basis for praise or to commend. A reason to commend someone or to celebrate them, to applaud, to express approval or admiration, to show appreciation, to magnify. So oftentimes when we come into the worship service, we're encouraged or implored to praise God because if he's done, so you oftentimes hear the worship, saying, worship leader say, hey, if God has done anything for you, would you praise him? Because praise is a response to knowing God has already done something. However, when we think about worship, worship being relational, here's what the definition of worship is. Expression of the relationship between believers and God. It involves reverence and adoration of God. Showing reverence or devotion for a deity to honor or respect an unbounded admiration where you say, God, I just, I want to continue to know you more that I might adore you or honor you greater. There is no bound on it. I continually pursue to have an intense love for extreme devotion to adore or to pay divine honor. So when we think about praise and worship, and we understand that there is a difference between praise because praise is I'm saying, God, what you've done, I'm thanking you for. But when I worship him, when I recognize who he is, I worship him because I want to honor him. So here's what I want you to do. Stand to your feet. I want you to help me out because I want to help you to understand something. So when we come into worship, I just ask you to stand because it's customary, and I think we can all relate to this, it's customary when you are in the courtroom. Somebody said, yeah, I've been there. Thank God for his, his, his being there with me, amen? But it's customary that when you're already seated, that when the judge... The honorable is entering the room. The bailiff steps out and says, oh, the honorable is entering the room. So when we come to worship, the reason we have you to stand to begin the service is because we're saying, hey, we're getting ready to honor the God, the creator of all things. We're going to invite him to be in our midst and we should rise in honor of him. So now, because we're talking about worshiping the creator, I want you to try something because, you know, if you were to go out, hopefully you do this, uh, you, when you go shopping, you try things on to kind of make sure it fits right, okay? So here's something that, that happens as a part of worship. It's, it's, it's lift your hands. So someone says, come on, somebody lift your hands. So here's what I want you to try this on. 
because I don't know if you are one-hand worshiper or two-hand worshiper. I'm going to start with just one. So here's what I want you to do. I just want you to take your right hand, even if you're left-handed, take the right hand, and I want you to take that right hand and lift it up. Oh, okay, okay. How does that feel? Does that fit you okay? It fit all right? I know, I know that shoulder that you, you, you messed it up trying to do more than you could, okay? But see, some of us may be two-hand worshipers, so I want you to try this out to see what fits. You, you let me know what works for you. Okay, put them both up. Because, see, the one thing about this, this says that, God, I'm standing in honor of you, but I'm lifting you higher than anything else around me that, yeah, I got some stuff going on, but today I raise you up. How does that feel? Now, here's one more thing, one more thing, one more thing. Now wave them. How's that feel? They feel okay? You may be seated. Now, you, you try what works for you. What, whichever one fit, if it was just a one hand, if you're a one-hander or a two-hander, because ultimately we come and we come to worship him because what's going to happen in your daily life is that you're going to have all kinds of things that are going to happen and you may forget to stop and acknowledge that God, you are greater than anything else because I know you to be faithful. I know you to be awesome. I know you to be one and only. I know you to be the one who is a friend that sticks closer to me. I know that you to be the one who never fails. I know you to be the one who never leaves me. I know you to be all of these things. I know you to be my all in all. So therefore, I worship you. Because as I showed you with all of creation, we're the only ones that can knowingly and intentionally worship him. And here is the, here's what God is compelling. He says, and the Father is seeking worshipers. And let me just get it right with you real quick. Uh, so I know, I know, brothers, I know we come. We come in. The brotherhood, we come in. We're trying to keep cool points. You know, your wife, she like, she bumping you like, hey, put your hand out here. <laughs> but here is the thing. If I know you to be all these things, and my worship is tied to my knowledge of who you are, then even when I'm trying to hold my cool points, I can cool it out. I can just... <laughs> <laughs> I can still hold it up because he's still worthy. Because in the midst of all that I have, I recognize who he is. A quick synopsis of, so I can close out, a quick synopsis of this 95th Psalm. There are seven acknowledgments of who God is. There are six responses to knowing who God is. There's one description of the position of those who know God, and then there's finally an invitation just in this first seven verses. So I want you to see this. Uh, 
within Psalm 95, there's two common themes. One is the knowing of God. And the second is evidencing who he is to others. So the first part of it is to know God, knowing God. And the second part or the second theme in this psalm is evidencing who he is to others. That is actually consistent with the Amity mission. See, we can see our mission in Psalm 95 because our mission is to know God and to make him known. So notice that the theme here is that knowing or recognize who in God is and then let somebody know who he is. So let's get through it. Let's get to it. The first one, look at verse number three. And I'm going to run along because I'm running out of time. Verse three. The first thing we see here, for the Lord is the great God, acknowledging who he is. That's number one. He's the great God, the great God, not a great God. He is the great God. Two, in verse number three, we find a second one. It says, and the great king above all gods. He is the great God, and he he reigns over any other thing someone may want to worship. The third acknowledgement of God is in verse four. It says, in his hands are the deep places of the earth. Now, wait a minute. Some of us brothers, I've shaken your hand. You got some big hands. My hand just swallows up in there. I'm like, hey, brother, let's just pound next time. <laughs> but it says God's hands are so big that he's holding the deep places of the earth. There are places on the earth that are still yet undiscovered in the sea. And it says... He's holding the deep places of the earth. There's a a, a fourth one in that fourth verse. It says, the heights of the hills are his. So not only the deep places, but the high places. Here's here's why this is important, because no matter where you might find yourself, God can find you. Because he got the deep and the high. You may be low in life, but he says, but I'm there too. But you may be high in life, and I'm there too, because no matter where you find yourself, he says, I'm already there because I'm holding all of these in my hand. The fifth one is found in verse number five. It says, the sea is his for he made it. Now, anybody ever been to the ocean? I know you have, but I just had to ask it that way. Someone hasn't. So there are those that might say, I've never been there. So let me describe this for you. One of the things that's so amazing about the ocean is how deceptive it is. It looks so pretty. You get there, the water's blue and it's green. The waves are coming in and it, like they're in a, a symphony. Whoosh, whoosh. But you got to be careful because you run out there and you don't know that they're powerful too. First time we got to the ocean, we were traveling and a brother went. He was so excited. He, he said, I've lived all my life and never been to the ocean. He got there, Brother Charles, he was so excited, he went, he went running out there towards the ocean. Now, don't run towards the ocean when it's coming towards you. He ran towards it, it flattened him. He couldn't swim. He's down there scuffling. He's in about this much water. And he said, help, help. And somebody said, just stand up. 
he realized that that ocean looks beautiful, but it's powerful. Ships sink. But he says, the sea, it even belongs to God because he made it. And here's what Job said about it, that Job said that God set the boundaries for the sea. So I'm standing there watching it, and I sat there, we, was, we were enjoying our time at the beach, and, and, and the, the, the waves would come running in like they're getting ready to overtake us. They would get to a point and stop and just... And they would come running again, and then they would just stop. And, and then Job, what Job said came back to mind, he said, because he set the boundary for the ocean. That no matter how big that wave is, it's got to return because his bound had been set. He made it. The next acknowledgement is in verse number five. He says, and his hands have formed the dry land. So he made the sea and he's made the land. And he separated the two. And then the last one, verse, the seventh one is in verse seven. It says, for he is our God. The one who did all of this is the one who says, you are my people. Now, there are six responses. I want to run through this quickly because I'm out of time. Six responses to knowing who he is in this same seven verses. Look at, the, look at verse number one. It says, let us sing to the Lord. Knowing who he is, it should compel us to sing. Watch this. I know that not everybody can sing in the praise team or in the choir. I get it. Some spouses say, I know. But here is the beauty about God. He hears the praise in your voice, not the tone of your voice. Because he recognizes that what you're offering to him belongs to him and whether it sounds like it's good or bad maybe you should relegate to just the choir I mean the car or the shower whatever it may be but when you come into worship he just hears the sweet smelling aroma of your worship and praise that wraps up another awesome word if you're in need of prayer counsel or if we can assist in any way please don't hesitate to ask if you would like to join contact us or receive these and other sermon notes visit us at amitybc.org. Until next week, be blessed.